This morning, I'd like to direct your attention to the book of Ephesians. We're going to continue in our series of lessons from the book of Ephesians. And I will tell you that I have learned a tremendous amount from studying this book. Many of the things that I have believed all my life have been reconfirmed, reassured as we study this book. This morning we're going to talk about the family from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 33. And I want to begin, as I have the last several weeks, with a question. What does family have to do with your spiritual life? Many of us like to compartmentalize our lives. We like to think about Sunday. We go to church. We come and worship God. We sing praises. We participate in the various items of worship. Monday morning we go to work. Our work has a certain aspect to our lives. And then we go home and we have our husbands and wives and children and parents. How does this have some impact on who I am and what I should be? If you'll remember when we were studying chapter 4, verse 1, Paul said, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. There is a lifestyle that God calls us to live. It is above, it is beyond the normal lifestyle of this world. That calling demands that we live a certain type of lifestyle. That means we are consistent. As we sit here in services and sing praises to God and how we conduct ourselves when we are in our jobs and how we conduct ourselves in our homes. Everyone has a role and a responsibility within the family. We understand we have a role and responsibility in our jobs. We have our bosses. We have those who are over us. We even understand that in the church the Lord had a plan. If you'll remember back in chapter 4, verses 11 and following, where he tells us that God gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. God had a plan for the home as well. Each of us have those. Now Paul will extend this teaching to a metaphor of Christ and the church. And I will tell you that if we study this passage and we don't see both sides of the picture, we will miss some of the great teachings that are to be found therein. We're going to look at four things. We're going to look in this passage, first of all, at wives being submissives. Husbands being sacrificial, children being in subjection, and finally parents being supervisors. Let's take this section and begin, first of all, with regards to wives. Beginning with verse 22, we read, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. 
Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. Let's break this down just a little bit. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. There's a key word here. The word is to submit. It means literally to place or arrange under to be subordinate. The original word is a compound word which indicates to put yourself under, place yourself there. It is in the imperative mood, which means it's a command. It's not as if this is something that I may choose to do or not do. If I am pleasing to God, I will do this. A couple of illustrations of the usage of the word are found in Luke 10, verse 17. The 70 returned, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Romans 10, and verse 3 for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. I don't think I have to belabor the point too much to understand that submission involves a person being in subjection to someone else. When the apostles went preaching and they commanded the demons, the demons listened and responded and were subject to them. We do know there are some people who are not subject. They're not willing to submit themselves. Those who were of the various Jewish elements who rejected God's plan would not submit themselves to the righteousness or the righteous plan of God. And Paul says, submit yourselves to your own husband. A wife is not submissive to someone else's husband. Paul's very clear here. The structure within the family is within that family unit. She is submissive to her husband. And then he adds the statement that qualifies it as to the Lord. When you do this, realize that you are not only being submissive to your husband, you're being submissive to God in doing so. Let me give you a couple of passages. Ephesians chapter 6, 7 and 8. He said, With good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is slave or free. If you're going to be a slave, serve, serve your master with all subjection because you know that there's a God to whom you answer. Or Colossians 3, verse 23, And whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. You women who are married, when you submit to your husbands, you are pleasing the Lord in what you do. Then Paul goes on to qualify, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Here it's pretty clear that the church is also to be subject to Christ. We as the body of Christ are guided, directed, and ordered by the Lord and by His teaching. 
wives are to do the same thing with regards to their husbands. Now, I'd like to make a few observations if you look at these few verses. Number one, it is directed and written to wives. It does not say to the husbands, bring your wives into subjection. It doesn't say, make her conform to you. This is a voluntary subjection. It's at her will. Now, I understand it's an imperative, it's a command from God, but she chooses to exercise that will. Number two, it is not submission if one complies only when he agrees. I am not a faithful servant of the Lord when I do only those things that I agree with and refuse to participate in those things that I don't agree with. Wives are not in submission to their husbands if they only submit in those areas where they agree. This is very important. Many men want to be the king of their home but they treat their wives like servants rather than queens. And they don't understand why their wife doesn't act like a queen. It's because they've treated her like a servant. And finally, with regards to wives, there is the power of a submissive wife. When Peter wrote his first epistle in chapter 3, beginning with verse 1, verse 2, then we'll look at verses 5 and 6, he says, Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. When they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Look at this wife. Look at what she has done. Look what influence she has. Verse 5 says, For in this manner... In former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves being submissive to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, his daughters you are, if you do good, and not afraid with any terror. I think most of us understand that aspect. But now let's look too. Verses 25 through 33, and see the sacrificial husband. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church not having a spot or a wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So, husbands ought to love their wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh and of his bones, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular 
So love his wife as his own self, and let the wife see that she respects her husbands. Notice here, the first thing that Paul says is husbands are to love their wives. The key word here, just like the key word in verse 22 was submit, the key word here is love. It's found in verses 25, 28, and 33. Notice carefully. Husbands, love your wives. Verse 28, so husbands ought to love their wives. Verse 33, he says, so that each one of you in particular. How could he be any more specific than that? Now let me emphasize that there is a word used here with love that has some very important meaning. He doesn't use the word eros to describe that. In fact, Scripture doesn't use that word. He doesn't use the word for friendship. The word for fondness, if you will, that is sometimes used like Philadelphia, that word philia, there is for the word of, of a friendship kind of love. He uses the word here, the verb form of agape. And it's the highest form of love. And it's not the one that's just subject to the emotions. This is saying, husbands, you have to have this highest form of love like Jesus did for the church. It's an action word. As an imperative, it is also a command that has to be obeyed. The love of Christ was sacrificial. When a husband really loves his wife, he looks at, he sees her needs, and he provides for them whatever it takes. Listen to John fifteen thirteen. Greater love has no man than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. Ephesians 5, verse 2. And walk in love as Christ also loved us, and has given himself for us as an offering and as a sacrifice for God as a sweet smelling aroma. You see, Jesus was sacrificial in his love. Now, I want you to notice here, he says you ought to love your own wife as your own bodies. Just like wives are being submissive to their own husbands, husbands are to love their own wife, not someone else's. He says he who loves his wife loves himself. She's a part of him. Paul will go on to say, And for this call shall a man leave father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they too shall become one flesh. So often people don't recognize that marriage is oneness. And that when a husband loves his wife like he loves himself, he's helping himself. We're going to notice that in the observation in just a moment. No one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it. That means that when a man looks at his wife, he's got to look at her just like he would nourish and cherish himself. One should never treat his wife in a way that they would not want to be treated themselves. This is the golden rule in action. Let me make a few observations. Number one, sacrifice has a purpose or it has a goal. 
Paul will use the word that in verses 26 and 27. The original word is henna, which means a purpose in mind. Notice how he says that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. That he might present her to himself a glorious church. There's a reason why the Lord sacrificed himself. There's a reason why men ought to sacrifice for their wives. The husband that loves, honors, and treats as special his wife gets a great woman to be his wife. Do you see that when you sacrifice and when you make your wife the special woman she ought to be, you get something just like when Jesus gave himself so that the church might be a glorious church. What a privilege and a blessing that is. Marriage is a good thing. Proverbs 18 verse 22 says, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains the favor from the Lord. Or Proverbs 31.10, Who can find a virtuous wife for her worth? is far above rubies. Every husband ought to seek to love his wife just like Christ loved the church. Number three, children being in subjection. Let's look at verses one through three. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you. And that you may live long on the earth. Notice he tells children to obey. The key word here, just like the key word in verse 22 and verse 25, here you have a key word and it's to obey. It's not the same word for a wife being in subjection. This word here literally means to hear under. The idea of being under indicates you recognize someone is over you. The last part of this word is the word akuo, which means to hear, to listen to, and act upon it. Listen to Proverbs 1 and verse 8. My son, hear the instruction of your father and do not forsake the law of your mother. Proverbs 6.20. My son, keep your father's command and do not forsake the law of your mother. You've got to listen to what they say. Listen as if you are under them because in reality you are. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Sometimes that phrase in the Lord has reference to those who are Christians. Sometimes it has reference to the commands of God. In this case... It does not say only obey your parents if they are Christians. When he says children obey your parents in the Lord, the key reference there is for the word obey. You obey them in the Lord. That would mean that any parent who gives his child an order, a command that is not in harmony with God's will, would not have to be obeyed. For instance, a young, maybe 14, 15-year-old girl 
living in Southeast Asia, their parent may come to them. Father may say, I'm going to make you into a prostitute and I'm going to make money off of you. That little girl would have no obligation to obey her parent because he would not be commanding her to do this in the Lord. Colossians 3.20 says, Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with promise. Now this is cited from Exodus 20.12, the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. I don't have to to guess how to understand this because the Lord interpreted its meaning in Matthew chapter 15 verses 3 through 6. And it means more than just respect. When he says honor your father and mother, that doesn't mean you just go buy them a card on Mother's Day and Father's Day. It doesn't mean even just saying yes sir and no sir and yes ma'am and no ma'am. The word honor as it appears in the Bible frequently carries with it the idea of financial support. You remember in 1 Timothy 5, let elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor. We have an idea that you pat them on the back twice. No, the double honor there had reference to a financial means. In Matthew 15, Jesus answered and said to them, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? For God commanded you, saying, Honor your father and your mother, and he who curses father and mother, let him be put to death. But you say, whoever says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is a gift of God, then you need not honor his father or mother. Therefore you have made the commandment of God of no effect because of your tradition. It comes with a promise. If you go back and you look at the Ten Commandments, this is not the first of the commandments. But it is the first commandment that has a promise attached to it. And that promise was for them that they would live long on the land the Lord God was giving them. Paul expands it by saying that he would have a long life on earth. That was God's blessing for being obedient to parents. Let me give you a few observations and then we'll move on. There's some things that one ought to do just because it's right. Folks, it's always right to be obedient to your parents. One ought to be very careful about what he says about his mother and his father. Do you get frustrated? Those of you who are teenagers, if you don't, you're not normal. Because sometimes we look at our parents and we don't always agree with their decisions. Let me point out to you that Deuteronomy 27.16 says, Cursed is the one who treats father or mother with contempt, and all the people shall say, Amen. You see, the children of Israel, as they listened to that statement, they all had to agree. This is something that you never treat your parents with contempt. And Proverbs 30, verses 11 through 13 and then verse 17, says that those 
who treat their parents that way. They curse their father. They do not bless their mother. And then he, I like the way that he puts it in verse 17. The eye that mocks his father and scorns obedience to his mother, the ravens of the valley will pick it out and the young eagles will eat it. You don't have to have somebody interpret that to you. It's despicable. Too often, we want to limit this to small children in the home. But respect for parents is a lifelong obligation. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 23, verse 22 says, Listen to your father who begot you, and do not despise your mother when she is old. 1 Timothy 5, 4 says, But if any widow has children or grandchildren... Let them first learn to show piety at home and repay their parents, for this is good and acceptable before God. It's a lifelong obligation. Your children are learning how to treat parents from you. I hope that you understand the seriousness of that. You want to know how your children are going to treat you when you reach your old age? They're going to learn from you how you treat your parents. Number four and finally. Six verse four says, And you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. When he says don't provoke them to wrath, it is possible to provoke children. That is to bring out the worst in them. To provoke them to wrath. There's two words that are used in the Bible, very close synonyms, wrath and anger. Sometimes they're translated in our English translations with interchangeable words. One means a flare-up of temper. The other means a deep-seated resentment. The root word of this is that deep-seated resentment. Parents, don't provoke your children to where they are going to resent you in life. According to Colossians 3.21, And fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. The word training carries with it the idea of instruction and or chastening. It's found that way in Hebrews chapter 12. Admonition involves a verbal warning. Some observations. There are reciprocal responsibilities. Husbands have to treat their wives correctly. Wives have to treat their husbands correctly. Parents have to treat their children right. Children have to treat their parents right. There is such a thing as being too permissive and there's also such a thing as being too overbearing. Parents have to recognize the balance between them. And frequently parents are concerned with their intellectual and social instruction of their children. And folks, too many are failing to provide for their spiritual training. In just a few minutes, after these services are over, we're going to be starting our Bible classes. Some of you have not been staying and you've not been keeping your children in Bible class. Why not? I understand there's some people have to leave because of illness and other things such as that, but why are you not providing for your children the most important instruction in life? 
The faithful family is an essential element of a strong congregation. Paul was trying to teach the Ephesians that point. The model of Christ and the church reflects the best aspects of the Christian home. Jesus loves the church. The church is subject to Christ. Husbands and wives should follow that pattern. And we are blessed to be a part of the beautiful bride of Christ. Would you take your song books out now as we prepare to sing the invitation song? If you need to become a child of God through faith in Jesus, repenting of your sins, confessing of that faith, and being baptized, the Lord will add you to his body, the church. You can be a part of that great, wonderful bride. If you are one of God's children and your life has not been reflective of being in submission to our Savior, then we want to urge you to respond by asking for prayers. If you need to come, would you come as we stand inside?